0: New Year. I hope you've had a good transition for the holidays. And I want to catch you up uh, real quick uh, just on a couple of things that we did before the holidays. So thank you so much for your donations to Glenview. Uh, Larry Curtis helped me get the boxes over there to them uh, to deliver. And uh, with your monetary donations, each family that participates in the pantry received a $45 Walmart gift card. And that is huge, for them, it's a big deal. It's a big blessing for them, and uh, they send their much needed or much appreciated uh, thanks to you. And I just remind you that the last Thursday of each month, we go to Glenview and we help them with their fresh food pantry. And so, if you want to go with us and be a part of that, then uh, you can talk to me, and uh, we'll get you hooked up with that. <clears throat> So I'm excited. To, oh, let me show you this. I forgot about this. So we have some decorated boxes. I cannot forget this. So you can see I pulled out some pictures of it. Uh, I just wanted you to see some of the detail that went into some of these boxes, uh, food boxes that went. So uh, appreciate that, too, from our kids. So I'm excited to start a new uh, series with you uh, this morning. I'm calling it Kingdom Come. And so as we spend the next few weeks contemplating the nature of God's kingdom and what it means for me and for you to live within that kingdom, to be a citizen of that kingdom. So what does that kingdom look like? What does it look like in my family? What does it look like in my job? What does it look like in my finances or in my plans or dreams for the future? What does it mean to live in the kingdom of God? And how does my citizenship in God's kingdom guide my relationships with those around me? So that's what we're going to be looking at. And when we think about kingdom today, perhaps in our world we picture a monarch uh, we think about, you know, a monarch with a high crown sitting on a throne. Uh, maybe they're wearing a red velvet robe holding a turkey leg or, you know, a little bit, some of the pictures of our, of our history there. Or perhaps you think about Queen Elizabeth. Uh, certainly we've seen her, for most of you have seen her all of your life because she's been on the throne all of your life. But, or you maybe think of uh, Prince William and Kate who are always in the news, it seems like. But England loves their queen. They love their queen because she has endeared herself to them. But that was not the case ...for the nation of Israel. And so their experience by the rule of kings, whether it was foreign or domestic, was overwhelmingly negative in ancient Israel. And so, however, the Israelite hope remained fixed on God's promise. A better kingdom that was rooted in God's promise. And so that's the way it began. A kingdom rooted in God. And so God called a people. He called a people out of darkness, out of a land of slavery and oppression that they were in in Egypt... And He called them from a land of foreign gods that they were living under in Egypt. And He called them out of a land of foreign kings. And we called them to a land of promise. A land that He had prepared for them where He would be their king and they would be His people. And so I'm going to jump back to Exodus chapter 6 and look in verse 6 where... We read, Therefore tell the Israelites, God says, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from your enslavement to the Egyptians and I will rescue you from the hard labor they impose and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you to myself for a people and I will be your God. And then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from your enslavement to the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. And so there it is. There is God's divine plan for His people. No more burden. No more slavery. No more tears. No more sorrow. He says, I will bring. I will deliver. I will redeem. I will give. I will take. I will be because I am. I am your God. And so God calls the people out of this kingdom of darkness into his kingdom of light. And so to live in the kingdom of God is to live under his divine rule. That's what it means to be a citizen of his kingdom. And so unlike kingdoms of the earth, God's kingdom is defined by his love and his faithfulness and his justice. And so this is all wrapped up in this relationship with God and and righteousness to those who live within this kingdom. And so God is the divine protector and the divine supporter of those within His kingdom. And His kingdom's distinct. It is distinct. And those whom God brought into His kingdom were distinct. They were set apart. They were holy people. And so no other kingdom and no other king was like this Yahweh, this God of the Israelites. And so the Lord of the Israelites. And He protected and he supplied the Israelites all the way to the promised land of Canaan. Brought them all the way to the land. But it was here in this land where the people rose up and they demanded another king. And so they rejected God. And God told them in First Samuel chapter 8 that this king you want, this king is going to draft your sons into his army. He's going to draft your sons to die for Him as He fights for more land. You're going to be serving Him and His personal agenda. And you're not going to be a volunteer in doing it either. He's going to claim the best land for Himself, even if you have already claimed it. He's going to annex your land because He needs it for His kingdom. And He's going to tax everything you own in order to sustain and to grow His kingdom. So here is the path that you're going down. And so the first human king that that was appointed was Saul. And so he was this image, this visual image of power and of strength. And he was head and shoulders taller than any other man in Israel. He was this warrior that the people wanted to go before them in battle. This representation, this image of what they thought it looked like to be citizens of the kingdom. And so Saul had this might. But Saul did not have the heart. And he turned away from following God's will. And so God raised up another man, another king, a man after God's own heart. And so the kingdoms of David who followed and his son Solomon were times of unprecedented peace and prosperity for Israel. And so they called it Shalom. Shalom. And it's what the Hebrews encapsulate in this word, this idea of hope and of wholeness, of completeness, of peace and prosperity for the individual and for the entire nation. So they lived in this shalom. And and to this day, David stands as the greatest king in their history and the king to which all others are compared. He's the measuring stick for Israel, for Jews to this day, because in his kingdom was shalom, was this peace and prosperity. And so you continue in the Bible and you see that after the death of David, the death of Solomon, his son, the wickedness of these successive kings divided the kingdom, separated the people, and it rapidly slid into ruin. And so the people of God clung to this idea, though, of restoration. They clung to this hope of shalom that was promised to them by God and through His prophets, that God is going to once again do What he did in the Exodus and in the days of David and the days of Solomon. And so there was certainly a great day coming that they were all looking forward to. So you had this glorious promise, this glorious hope for this coming kingdom of God. Isaiah chapter 61, it paints out this beautiful picture. It's a little bit, I'm going to read 11 verses here, but I want you to hear the imagery and what the kingdom of God represents and what it looks like here Isaiah 61 and verse one, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has chosen me. He has commissioned me to encourage the poor, to help the brokenhearted, to decree the release of captives and the freeing of prisoners, to announce the year when the Lord will show his favor, the day when our God will seek vengeance to console all who mourn and to strengthen those who mourn in Zion by giving them a turban instead of ashes. Oil, symbolizing joy instead of mourning. A garment, symbolizing praise instead of discouragement. And they will be called oaks of righteousness. Trees planted by the Lord to reveal His splendor. And they will rebuild the perpetual ruins and restore the places that were desolate. They will reestablish the ruined cities and the places that have been desolate since ancient times. Foreigners will take care of your sheep. Foreigners will work in your fields and vineyards, and you will be called the Lord's priests, servants of our God. You will enjoy the wealth of nations and boast about the riches you receive from them. And instead of shame, you will get a double portion. Instead of humiliation, they will rejoice over the land they receive. Yes, they will possess a double portion in their land and experience lasting joy. For I, the Lord, love justice and hate robbery and sin. I will repay them because of my faithfulness. I will make a permanent covenant with them and their descendants will be known among the nations, their offspring among the peoples. And all who see them will recognize that the Lord has blessed them. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord and I will be overjoyed because of my God, for he clothes me in garments of deliverance. He puts on me a robe symbolizing vindication. I look like a bridegroom when he wears a turban as a priest would. And I look like a bride when she puts on her jewelry. For just as the ground produces its crops and a garden yields its produce, so the sovereign Lord will cause deliverance to grow and give His people reason to praise Him in the sight of all the nations. How wonderful is that imagery, that picture, that vision of this kingdom of God when God reigns again. This is what life will be like. This is what it looks like in the kingdom of God. And so when you see wounds healed, physical wounds and broken spirits, when you see those healed, when you see lame walk, when you see blind see and hungry fed, when Shalom returns, we will know that the kingdom of God is here. And so they waited and they watched. For over 400 years from the time the prophet spoke and when the time was fulfilled, Jesus walks into a local synagogue and he opens the scroll of Isaiah and he reads, Luke records this for us, Luke chapter 4 and verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me. To proclaim release to the captives and the regaining of sight to the blind. To set free those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on Him. And then He began to tell them, Today, this Scripture has been fulfilled even as you heard it being read so in Mark's account now, this beginning, he sums it up this way in Mark chapter one, and verse 14. Now, after John was in prison, Jesus went into Galilee and proclaimed the gospel of God. And he said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the gospel. And so Jesus says, now repent. You've been going the wrong direction. You've got to turn your lives around now and go the opposite direction because the kingdom of God is here. And this was good news. This is what the people have been waiting for. God is here now to set things right, and He wants you to join Him. And so, the King has shown up to take back His creation. Shalom has returned, embodied in Jesus Christ. But what is this kingdom? What is this kingdom? It's not a a place. It's not a palace. The kingdom is the presence of a king. And so it didn't have to be his physical presence, but the presence of his rule represented his kingdom. And we recognize this in our world today. Air Force One, you think about the president's plane. Air Force One is not Air Force One until the president is on board. And so that's the official call sign of this Air Force aircraft carrying the president of the United States. And you could put him in any Air Force aircraft and it would be Air Force One. And so consider our foreign embassy. You've got embassies in different nations across the world. The embassy is representative of the rule of the country to which it belongs. And so for us, no matter where it's located, the footprint of a United States embassy is, in fact, the United States. And so in a foreign land, the business of the United States is carried out in and through its embassy. And so the kingdom of God is wherever God is. Or our, our example illustrates the kingdom is wherever God's rule is exercised or is carried out. And so in the first century, to speak of kingdom was to speak of the certainty that the king's will is going to be carried out. Nobody would think that within a kingdom, a king's ra- a rule, king's realm, that what he wanted to happen was not going to happen. You just wouldn't think that way. It happened not just in his palace, but all throughout the land. And so wherever you see the king's will, you should see evidence of his kingdom. The way the king wants things to be was how they were, not just in his chamber, not just in the palace, but wherever his citizens were, that's where his kingdom was seen and recognized. And so the boundary of his kingdom reached as far as the boundary of his citizens. And so. When the Jews who had been anticipating this promised king of deliverance, when they heard this news, the kingdom is now here, is now at hand, they were excited. They were invigorated. They were energized by this. And evidence of God's kingdom was dramatic. And it was extensive because blind people could now see and sick people were now healed. And Jesus feeds 5,000 hungry people with scraps of food and he brings dead people back to life. And so this promise of God through his prophets was coming true before their eyes. But had Shalom returned? Could this be it? Has Shalom returned? Well, it sure looks like it. And Isaiah and Ezekiel reminded the people what their lives would look like in the year of the Lord's favor, when this happens, when God reclaims His kingdom. And so now in this person of Jesus, the kingdom is being fulfilled. So what did Jesus do? Well, Matthew chapter 10 and verse 5, Jesus sends out 12. 12 selected men, instructing them as follows. Do not go to Gentile regions and do not enter any Samaritan town. You go instead to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So they were to go first. To those who had been anticipating the coming of this kingdom. You go to them first. The Jews who had grown up with these stories of Shalom. And he says in verse 7, As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. So proclaim the good news that the kingdom you have been looking for, you have been waiting for, is here. But talk is cheap, right? Talk is cheap. And people have been talking for hundreds of years. We've been looking for this, waiting for this. What does this even mean? So God empowers these men to spread evidence of the presence of His kingdom. So what was the evidence? Well, in verse 8, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out the demons. Freely you receive, freely you give. And so they now become partners with Jesus in His ministry of kingdom proclamation, telling the world that the kingdom is here. And so their speech is rooted in their action. Now, everywhere they went now, they carried the message that God is on the throne. He's not back on the throne. He's always been on the throne. But now He's unveiling His eternal purpose for reigning on that throne. And so their actions were evidence that His will was in force. And so remember, kingdom is where the will of the king is lived out within his territory. So the kingdom is not some passive state that we're just placed into and then we pray we remain there until Judgment Day. The kingdom of God is a realm of life and action in which God's will is manifested. It's made known by those who live within it. And so that's why Jesus could pray in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 10, Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He could pray that God's will would be carried out throughout his kingdom. And remember, where is kingdom? Well, it's wherever the will of the king is lived out in his territory. It's us. So the psalmist declares in Psalms 24 and verse 1 that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything in the world and all who live in it. And so God's sovereign kingdom has no boundaries. But see, I, I can establish boundaries for it in my own life. I can say, God, heres I'm going to draw a line right here. And this is your side and this is my side. I can do a real good job of that. I can limit God's reign in my life and thereby limit His influence in the lives of those around me. And so if you want to know what life looks like in the kingdom... You need to look no further than the teaching of Jesus. And so in Matthew chapter five through seven, we read about this foundational teachings of this Son of God. And throughout His ministry, Jesus reiterates in different ways to different audiences the same fundamental teachings, the way of life that's evident in the lives of those who claim to follow God. It proclaims to the world that God's will is done on earth just as it is in heaven. How is that? It's through us, through our obedience through how people see us living and following Jesus Christ. They can see the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is eternal, but there's a glimpse, there's a vision, there's a shell of it, there's an image of it that's here today, and that's in our lives. And so in chapter 5, we have Beatitudes. And so each of these sayings speaks a blessing of this divine favor that's bestowed upon someone, resulting in this possession of a certain kingdom quality, a character quality. And so while speaking of a current blessedness, each pronouncement is also a promise of a future reward. When you are this, then you can expect this, he says. And so in chapter five and verse thirty one and following, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And so in verse 16, continuing in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. And so he says, let other people see your attitude. Let them see your action. That is the attitude and the actions that Jesus says are worthy of this divine favor. And so when they see how you act and when they see what you're doing, then God gets the glory. And so then he goes on in chapter five and he says, this is what it looks like when God's kingdom is present in your life. He says, you've got healthy relationships now are of utmost importance. That's what we hold highly important is healthy relationships. And you run from temptation. And you don't take a note because when you say you're going to do something, you do it. You don't have to swear on anything. And so you do also do you do more to get along with others than the evil that's done to you. And you love your enemies. And you pray for those who persecute you. And you give to those who are in need. And, and you, you're not worrisome. You're not anxious because you trust your life to God. And then you don't judge the motives in the heart of others. Rather, you assess your own spiritual position, your own spiritual health. And so when you get this good news about the kingdom of God, these cease to be laws. They cease to be rules and you begin to see them as an expression of the life that you live in Christ It's just who you are, not just what you do. And so that's God's will. And the kingdom is where the will of the king is lived out in his territory. And so when others see how you're acting and what you're doing today, tomorrow or in the past, when they see how you act and how you live and what you do, God either gets the glory or God has made a mockery. And so because when we claim that we are citizens of the kingdom of God, then how we live our lives is a direct reflection on the King whom we serve. And so our God is not a wimp. And there is no room for wimpy followers in the kingdom of God. And so Isaiah 61, 11, Remember, for as the soil makes the sprout come up and garden causes seed to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise. Spring up before all the nations. How's He going to do that? Because we, in Christ, are God's righteousness. We are God's praise that sprouts up before all the nations. Sprouts up where? When you go to the store? When you clock in at work? When you're sitting at an intersection? When you're sitting in this building? That's where it sprouts up. It's God's church. And so he has gathered to himself people for this purpose. And the purpose is evident in Ephesians 2, as we read earlier. Verse 14 says, Jesus is our peace, our shalom. And then down in verse 22, and in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So God is building his kingdom in the lives of those who obey his will. Those who pledge themselves to him and have been brought near to him. By the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God is evident in the individual who allows God's will to permeate their life. And so the kingdom is also evident when the church allows God's will to permeate its life. Evidence of God's kingdom is not in what we say as much as it is in what we do. And our witness to the world must be more than just cars on a parking lot and lights in a window. It's a life changing decision it's a no turning back step that's what repentance is no turning back i'm moving a different direction now not going backwards anymore i'm surrendering my life to god and i accept his will as the determining guide for my life and many of you have experienced having to move away from friends and family during your lifetime or or for work or, or perhaps for school how easy was that how easy was that to move away from, from everyone that you were familiar with and, and knew and loved and had this relationship with or even moving to another country, as some have had to do? Now, contrast that feeling with moving to a place where you know a lot of people, moving to a place where your friends are, a place where your family is, a place where there are people who care about you there. Wouldn't you be more receptive to that kind of move if you knew that the people who loved you and cared for you We're already there waiting for you. See, that's the difference between telling people how they need to do it God's way and showing them why doing it God's way is so much better. And we worry a lot about getting people inside our building. Maybe we need to be focused and determined on getting into their lives. And that will take care of itself. And they, they might see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. And, and when we go to places like Glenview Elementary, we go to, to Cummins Prison and we host worship service for them. It's the activity that gets us into the door. But it's the relationship building that keeps inviting us back, bringing us back. And so we are God's righteousness and praise that sprouts up before all the nations. And in his proclamation of the kingdom of God, it was Jesus' miracles that got him in the door of people's lives and conversations. But it was the relationship that's what was spread the message of the kingdom. It's not either or, but it's both and. And so James chapter 1 and verse 21 says, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. And when the word of God is implanted in our hearts, then it cannot but change the way we live our lives. And so when we allow our lives to be changed by God's Word, and when Jesus' teaching in places like Matthew chapter 5, when that begins to lead and to frame our everyday lives, our very existence, then our lives truly will shine in the world around us before others. And God will be glorified. And people will notice. And disciples will be made. And when I see an apple, I know somewhere in this world there's an apple tree. And if I go to the source of where that apple came from, then I can find more. And when I see the fruit of God's Spirit in our lives, when others see the fruit of God's Spirit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When they see that, then they can know that if they go to the source of that fruit, they go to the tree that produced that fruit, they're going to find more. Jesus says in John chapter 15 and verse 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So we've got to be diligent in bearing fruit for the kingdom of God. He said, but Sean, I am. I am being diligent, and think about this. At 211 degrees, water is hot. You will burn your skin. You will require medical attention if you stick your hand in a pot of water that's 211 degrees. It's hot water, and it's useful. It's, it's for a lot of tasks. It accomplishes a lot. But at 200, that's 211 degrees. At 211 degrees, water is hot. But at 212 degrees, water boils. And with boiling water comes steam. And with steam, you can power a locomotive. And so think too often maybe, perhaps, we settle for lukewarm effort. When if we would just commit one more degree, then God would unleash a train of kingdom impact through us. But we convince ourselves that we're waiting on God. I'm waiting on God to work in my life. When all the while, He's been waiting on us. So the kingdom of God is not some passive state that we're placed into. And then pray that we remain there until judgment day. The kingdom is where the will of the king is lived out in his territory. The kingdom of God is this realm of life and action where God's will is made known by those who live within it. And God has gathered to Himself a specific people, a church, to be His embassy, to be His residence, His place of official kingdom business. And Peter says, we are God's spiritual house. We are God's temple. And so in this foreign land in which we live, the business of the kingdom of God is carried out in His embassy by His ambassadors. That's you and that's me, Christians. We're the ones whom He has sent into the world, into your neighborhood, into your field of work, into your unique space in which you do daily business. To proclaim good news to the poor. To proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's our task. Because that's our experience. And don't get overwhelmed by going to all the world. How about we just start right in your neighborhood and it is us, the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's let's open the doors of this building and the doors of our lives and show by our actions that we serve a living God who calls all people out of a kingdom of darkness, out of a kingdom of hopelessness, out of a kingdom of uncertainty and into a kingdom of light and a kingdom of hope and a kingdom of second chances, a kingdom where the king's will is lived out in his territory, a kingdom Come. And that takes nearsighted living. It takes understanding where you are right now. Seeing the world for what it is right now. Living with a nearsighted life. But keeping our eyes fixed on a far-sighted view. An eternal view inside. God's will is that no one should perish, but all should come to repentance. And so today, you can leave that kingdom of uncertainty. And you can be baptized into Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And stand before God in His eternal kingdom as a child and citizen of His. God's kingdom of life. We are God's territory. And we must explain. So we are God's message of shalom. We are God's message of hope and hopelessness to all those around us. So the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in this good news. If we can help you in any way this morning as we stand and sing this song, will you come? He uh,